the Sinai Experience, an event etched into the identity of the Jewish people, God's miraculous removal of his people from the oppressive servitude of ancient Egypt, and the subsequent trip to receive the Torah in the Sinai Desert is our origin story. But for many Jews, this story has played a much more powerful role. It has convinced them of the unique truth of the Jewish religion. I'm Avi Cohen, and this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. Up until now, we've been discussing the Sinai proof. Our premise has basically been that if a nation has a national revelation, a national miracle story which is accepted by that nation, and it doesn't have a gap in their tradition, then the story they have that they're saying over must be true. So the Jewish people, with their uninterrupted tradition of a miraculous exit from Egypt, and a revelation at the foot of the Sinai mountain must be carrying a true religion. Now, what if we would find that other religions also have mass revelation stories? What if we looked at different religions around the world who also claim to have a miracle seen and experienced by the masses? Would that mean that our premise is incorrect? I mean, it's far more likely that our premise is incorrect than all these religions having true national revelation stories, because generally we'd like to think of religions as exclusive, meaning if one is correct, the other one is not going to be correct, because most religions have clauses in them which says don't believe in other religions. So if there's a, um, let's say, a multiple amount of gods who each have their own religion are portraying it to the masses, each individual masses as this being the exclusively true religion, that would obviously cause havoc on our belief system. It's possible, but I think at that point, we would more likely have to investigate why our premise is false, i.e., why is why are we wrong when we say that a nation can't accept a mass revelation story if it is not actually true, like we were saying by the Sinai story. So let's get right into it. Um, w- the list of nas- uh, mass revelation stories that I compiled is actually uh, made up of a bunch of revelation stories that I found on anti-Sinai, anti-Sinai proof books and blogs. Um, so I, I believe that this would be the best possible list you can come up with if, if obviously if you would know of a, another one, um, and you would like to send that in and have me investigate and talk about that one, I would love to do so, but this is the most exhaustive list that I could come up. So the first one we're going to talk about is the black Israelites. So they've been, uh, recently in the news, um, for a spate of anti-Semitic attacks. The black Israelites was actually started in the, uh, 1890s by a man named Frank Cherry and William Crowdy, um, two black men, obviously. They claimed to have a revelation from God in which they learned that African Americans are the true descendants of ancient Israel. The group is estimated to have around 200,000 members. They claim that the Sinai story, the story we've been talking about over the past episodes, is actually their history. Okay, Now, this would seem to show that a nation can acquire a mass revelation story without actually being witness to one. Because obviously, contrary to their belief, the African-Americans were not the original Jews. Um, That's pretty clear historically. So if the African-American nation, or at least the black Israelite portion of it, which is 200,000 members, which is a fairly decent amount, um, can actually think that they had this Sinai story with the mass revelation, with the mass miracles, as their history, it would seem to be that a nation could be pick up a false history and portray it as a narrative of their actual history. 
In truth, however, I think this actually will show our point beautifully. So this tradition that the black Israelites are the original Hebrew people started around 130 years ago. Cherry and Crowdy introduced this tradition to their followers. Their followers did not know it to be false. For they were not told that they themselves had witnessed the miracles. All they were told is you are the descendants of the people who had witnessed the miracles. Now, it's not enough to say, well, they could have researched it and done a lot of research and figured out it's not true because the amount of proof needed to, let's say, historically figure out that they're not ancestors of the original Jews is very hard to know that to be false. It's much easier to believe that, no, actually, these are our ancestors. Uh, This is not the same as the sign of proof, which says that if you hadn't seen a miracle not to have occurred or you hadn't seen a miracle to have occurred, you would never believe it to have happened. The fact that these might be able, these African-Americans might be able to do research and understand that they're not the descendants is obviously not a high level enough um, disproof of the story they're being told by Cherry and Crowdy. So it makes sense that they would have believed it. This would not work in our origin story because the Jewish people who are buying the story, as we've gone on to show at length, are the ones who were supposed to have seen the miracle. The fact that they bought it and didn't just say, well, it didn't happen to us because we know that didn't happen, means the miracle must have happened. You cannot say that about the black Israelites. So that's one national revelation story down. The next one is the Mormons. So around in the 1820s, the 1800s was a very popular century for fake uh, religion starting. A man named Joseph Smith related to his future followers that an angel had directed him to a book written on golden plates. He then published a translation, which was known as the Book of Mormon, hence the name the Mormons, who was the supposed prophet slash historian who compiled it. In one of the sections called the Third Nephi, I I hope I'm pronouncing any of these things correctly, a miracle is described where J.C. allegedly appears. I'll read, and I quote from the third Nephi, not the second Nephi. And it came to pass, as they understood, they cast their eyes up again towards heaven. And behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven, and he came down and stood in the midst of them. And the eyes of the whole multitude was turned upon him. He stretched forth his hand and spake unto the people, saying, Behold, I am Jesus, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. If you want to look up that quote, it's from the third Nephi, 11 verses 8 through 12. Chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. So that seems to be a very public revelation, right? And a very miraculous one. There's JC coming down from heaven, saying, I'm back. Um, and that's in front of everybody. However, sadly, this too will fall short for the very same reason as black Israelites. The story of the mass revelation is not being bought by the people who reportedly had seen it. Right? So the story is of a mass revelation. There's the whole world, right? The, the whole multitude saw it. But they're not the people buying the story. We have no idea who those people are. They don't even exist. They might not exist. I don't know if they do exist, right? The people who bought the story lived in the 1820s. There was no JC coming down from the sky in the 1820s. So this story is relating to a time period approximately 34 years after the death of J.C. in the year zero, so 34 of the Common Era. But it is published in the Book of Mormon, which is given to a people in the 1830s, around 2,000 years later. This, again, perfectly fits our pattern. The adherence to Mormonism 
did not know this story to be false. They didn't see it happen. They weren't supposed to have seen it happen, so they can't say it didn't happen. Therefore, they believed it. In the case of the Sinai story, again, the Jews who bought the story were supposed to be the ones who the story was about. Let's go to our next story. This one is uh, JC and the Loaves of Fish. The Loaves and the Fish, sorry. This story is recorded in all four of the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, supposedly containing J.C.'s teachings. The story tells of a crowd of 5,000 men with their families hungrily gathering around J.C. asking for food. But all there was to eat were five loaves of bread and two fish. Obviously not enough food for 5,000 people. Miraculously, that amount of food was able to provide for the whole group. That's how you know the early Christians were not Jewish, because if it was a Jewish group, the first man would have eaten all of it. That is found in Matthew 14, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 44, Luke chapter 9, verses 12 and 17, and John chapter 6, 1 through 14. So it's a fairly widely known story in the Christian faith. This miracle is known as the feeding of the multitude, aptly named. So again, this, this again is a very public miracle in front of 5,000 people. And it would seem to lend credence to J.C. as a miraculous uh, deity form. This miracle was accepted into the Christian faith as being true at the time. Because again, the Gospels were written right around then, right? So how is this different than the sign of miracles, right? It's in the Gospel. Our, our miracle is in our book. That miracle is in their book. It's a public miracle. And it was accepted immediately into the Christian faith. What's well, it different? So there's some things you need to know. The Gospels were written by earliest estimates, and I'm going by Christian theology here, over 60 years after the death of J.C. This means that even if the feeding of the multitude occurred right at the end of his life, the story would be written a full adult life later, right? 60 years after that. So everybody from the story would probably be dead by the time the, the Gospels were written. Add this to the fact that it does not mention who the 5,000 men were, where the story took place, you have perfect fodder for a falsified tale. There's no way to verify the story as being false, because no one knows who the men were. It doesn't say the men who got fed accepted the Gospels. The Gospels were written six years later. The Gospels were given to a, were given to a different group of people, right? It's not like the Gospels had to be given to the group who witnessed the miracle. It could have been given to anybody who accepted it. All the people who accept the Gospels, all... All that the people who accept the Gospels have to believe is that 60 years earlier, in a remote area, J.C. miraculously fed an unknown group of 5,000 people. That's hardly a corollary for the Sinai story, where the book is telling of a story of a miracle that's happening to the people accepting that book and that tradition as it occurred to them. So that's another mass revelation story down. This next one is, I think, my favorite. So it's a Constantine... The Great and the Fiery Cross. So I think this is um, this is actually a perfect example of when you read things online or in books, you really have to check it out because it can be very, very misleading. This next story was represented as a public miracle by the author where I got the, the story. I'm not going to say where I got the story, but it was represented as being a perfect example of another na- uh, mass revelation story in a different religion. And you'll see how just silly that, that is as soon as you just look slightly bit into the story. Now, in, in perfect um, fairness to the author, I after reading his book, I'm not sure he fully understands the, uh, the sign of proof. So maybe in his version of what the sign of proof was, this is a good disproof. 
but certainly not to ours. Okay, so Italy. That was the place. The year was 312. The location was near the Tiber River. The story was that Constantine, the original Roman emperor, and thousands of his soldiers saw a cross-shaped trophy formed by light, and a text was attached to it which said, By this, conquer. The miraculous event convinced Constantine to make Christianity the official religion of Rome. Okay, so now at first, this seems like a doozy, right? The story is recorded, recorded by contemporary, which means living at the time, historian Eusebius. This would seem to be a problem, right? You have a historian testifying that thousands of soldiers and the emperor of Rome witnessed a vision of a cross in the sky with words telling them, by this cross, you will conquer. Now, if an historian is saying this, it would seem to be this event is public knowledge. He's recording an event that happened to the Roman emperor and his entire army. This would seem to be a public miracle recorded contemporaneously to people that should know it to be false if it actually was false. So for this, I had to go to the actual source, read it in the original historian's words, and then it all quickly fell apart. So this is found in Eusebius chapter 1, verses, or I don't know if it's verses, but lines or paragraph, uh, sentences 28 through 32. It might be paragraphs even. Once I went there, my questions went away immediately. So I'll quote here. If someone else had reported it, it would perhaps not be easy to accept. But since the victorious emperor himself told the story to the present writer a long while after and confirmed it with oaths, who could hesitate to believe the account? He then proceeds to tell the account and concludes, Amazement at the spectacle seized both him and the whole company of soldiers, which was then accompanying him on a campaign he was conducting somewhere. Ah, nothing like the believability of a vague private miracle account from the emperor himself. So that's obviously not a good national revelation story. This is just a private account from an emperor making up a story to a historian a while after. And when the emperor tells you to write something in your book, you obviously can't say, nope, it's not true. Okay, so now this next one is Mary appearing above the Coptic church. This is actually a fairly recent one. Okay, so this, this next public miracle occurred not so long ago. It was the year 1968. An image of Mary appeared above the Coptic church in Cairo, Egypt. This apparition was apparently seen by tens of thousands of people and was declared an official miracle in the Christian faith. Now, this actually, this miracle was used by the Egyptian people to sort of um, make them feel better after the beating they took in the Six-Day War, War only a year earlier. So this was a very, very comforting miracle. So not only was this miracle seen by a mass amount of people, there's even pictures of the vision available online. If you go on Google, you'll be amazed to see a vague outline of what could be interpreted as being the shape of Mary. Um, you'll also find news reports at the time relating that policemen tried shooing the crowds away from what they felt was not a very miraculous moment. So I think this is actually a perfect example of how the sign of proof works. So I have no doubt that something was seen over the Coptic Church, right? Tens of thousands of people reported such. And according to the sign of proof, that can't be falsified. If tens of thousands of people are saying they saw something, they saw something. However, the fact that they are interpreting said vision as being an image of Mary is highly debatable. I don't have to believe that what they think is a vision of Mary is actually a vision of Mary. I looked online. You could see the image. It's not that impressive. 
But I do believe they saw something, which is why I was not surprised when I went online and saw there was a news story about it. And there was, well, I was surprised there was a picture of it. But once I saw the picture, I was not surprised that they were actually looking at something because tens of thousands of people don't make up a story. They do, they might make up significance, religious significance to an otherwise normal event, but they wouldn't make up a story. So now this idea that the, the, the supposed miracle was, let's say, artificial artificially attached significance by the people who saw it cannot be said regarding the Sinai story as it's hard to confuse 10 wild plagues, a splitting of the sea and a heavenly voice communicating commandments with any other known phenomena as opposed to, you know, lights above a church. Okay. So this next miracle is the Islamic splitting of the moon. We're going all across religions over here. It's the alleged splitting of the moon and two by the prophet Muhammad. The miracle is sourced in the verse in the Quran. Surah 54.1. The hour has come near and the moon has split in two. Actually, if you go online and you search this verse, the, they have this nice audio of somebody reading the, uh, the Quran in Arabic from the verse. It's very melodious. Sounds like a Sephardi laning. Um, if you want, you can go check it out. Okay, Muslim interpretive tradition explains that this verse is referring to an incident when the pagan Meccans not believing that Muhammad had received a revelation from God, asked for a miracle. In response, Muhammad split the moon, which is a lot better than the response you get nowadays. This would obviously meet the the criteria of a public miracle, right? It's a moon splitting. This miracle is slightly trickier to dispel because the tradition comes from contemporaries of Muhammad. So like unknown, unlike the Gospels, where the Gospels were written six years later, these these traditions come from people who interacted with Muhammad and supposedly saw the miracle. These are called the companions of the prophet. So in order to be a companion of the prophet, you have to be a man who had direct contact with Muhammad. Now, their testimonies were collected in works called the Hadith. Their hadith. This is from uh, this is a form of oral supplement to the Quran. Uh, this tradition is found in the Hadith called Sahih al-Bukhari, which is... Um, a, we're going to talk about this hadith from Sahih al-Bakari, but it actually comes in the testimony of several famous companions of the Prophet. So it, apparently, from what my research yields, if a lot of companions had seen the same story, you would write it down as this tradition comes from said companion of the Prophet. It's also comes from said companion of the Prophet and so on. You would list all the companions who are relating over this tradition. Uh, the companions actually are Abdullah bin Abbas, Anas bin Malak, and Abdullah ibn Ibn Masud, so, you know, some famous companions of the Prophet. Okay, but let's talk a little bit of Hadith, right? So the author was an Islamic scholar named Muhammad al-Bukhari, and he apparently scoured the caliphate for trustworthy traditions to include in his Hadith. His Hadith was published in 864 Common Era, a little over 200 years after the death of Muhammad. So now we can break down this supposed public miracle. The first week in the link, a weak link in the chain is the hadith itself. None of the men testifying about this miracle would have been alive for close to 200 years before the hadith was written. Furthermore, no one who saw the miracle or did not see the miracle would have been alive to verify or deny it. Now, even if we were to assume that the miracle actually was a tradition before the hadith was written, the miracle would still only be sourced in the prominent religious leaders who apparently saw it happen. After all, even by the companion of the Prophet's own accounts, the pagan Meccans who supposedly saw the miracle 
were not impressed and did not convert to Islam. Therefore, the Islamic masses who came to believe the story, the tradition, assuming it was a tradition before the Hadith was even written, would be believing the miracle purely on the faith of the testimonies of the companions of the Prophet. This is no example of mass revelation. Now, two side notes. The first side note is that I was actually looking online, and it was on some Islamic apologetics uh, website, and he was saying that that one of the proofs for this miracle have happened is that we don't see anywhere anyone saying that the moon did not split that night, which is a very strong proof. Nobody took the time to record that the moon did not split that night, and therefore it probably did split. Otherwise, people would be saying it didn't split. On a second side note, in June 18th, 1178, five monks from Canterbury, England, also claimed to have seen the moon split into two, Um, So perhaps such an event can be explained away naturally, making this whole discussion moot. But either way, this is, again, not a mass revelation. There's no miracle where the people who saw the miracle are the ones accepting the story of the miracle. So all of the above miracles fall short of the sign and proof criteria for one of the following reasons. Either they were experienced by the masses, but they were not really a miracle. That would be the vision of St. Mary above the Coptic Church. Or they were accepted by the masses but not the same masses who reportedly have seen the miracle. That would include the black Israelites. They're accepting the word of Frank Cherry and William Crowdy that their ancestors had witnessed a mass revelation. That would include the Mormons accepting the word of Joseph Smith that J.C. appeared to everybody around 2,000 years before that. You have J.C. and the loaves of fish. The Christians are accepting the miracle story that's found in the Gospels when the actual miracle occurred to unknown people around 70 years prior, at least 70 years prior, 60 years prior. That would include Constantine the Great and the Fiery Cross. Eusebius believed the mass revelation story solely on the words of the great emperor himself. And it would include the Islamic moon splitting, where the Hadith was written well after the miracle had occurred, and the miracle was only accepted by the Islamic believers, not the pagan Meccans who were supposed to have seen the miracle. Unlike all of those, the Exodus story could not have been perceived as a natural event, and it also was accepted by the people who had supposed to have seen the miracle. That's what makes it unique and different from all these other mass revelation stories. In the next episode, we're going to be um, investigating two more mass revelation stories, which I think are a little better, a little closer to truth, and we're going to make another important clarification into the Sinai proof, and I think after that one, we will be done with this. I'm Avi Cohen, and this is Jewish Thought Flow.